Yolo, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are joining us today on our second episode of S1 Tom Chat. Uh, with me today, I have my good friend, my learned colleague, Mr. Jim Shields. Jim, welcome. Thank you. Uh, hello, and nice to see you again, Tom, and thanks for having me on the show. It's awesome. Absolutely. My pleasure. Now, Jim, uh, many of you may know his work, less so him, although he'd like to think it was the other way around. But Jim's the creative <laughs> director at Know Before, uh, but also you are the founder of Twist and Shout, a uh, creative production company, a video production company. Yeah, that's right. That's where that's wow. Um, giving away my age now. That's that company was 28 years old in January. Wow. Or would have been. Wow. If, it, if it hadn't been, it, or would have been in January, if it hadn't been absorbed been. by the board. Well, it's still running as an entity. It's a wholly owned subsidiary of No Before Now. Ah, there you go. So the, name you go. Been, the name has been retained because apparently there is some brand value there. So <laughs> after That's 28 right. years, if there isn't, you've not really done very well, have you, really? <laughs> and and they're, they're going to squeeze every last dollar, right? Let's face it. Um, I expect, Let's face yeah, it. I fully expect them to. Yeah. But yeah. But I think what Twist and Shout did, and that, you know, obviously what you did as a, as a result was you built a, a reputation making really quite pioneering information security um, shows, for want of a better term. Yeah. Um, the sort of infosex sitcom, I think you like to call it, of of restricted yeah. intelligence, which you're now filming the seventh series. Yeah, we've season? just wrapped. We've just wrapped on season seven of Restricted Intelligence, the final right. season. It's very sad. Oh, it's going to be the final it- one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was always, a... well. Season six was supposed to be the final one. Well, yeah, because, yeah, that's true. But because of the acquisition, um, um, our esteemed boss uh, Stu Showerman said that um, he would like to see, under the auspices of No Before, another season of Restricted. A because it's so popular, but B because he doesn't want to make it look like because of the acquisition, we're not doing that anymore. You know, he doesn't want to be the want to be the bad guy. Yeah, no, exactly. That's right. <laughs> I completely understand that. And actually, yeah. to be fair, it it didn't take much persuasion, to be honest. No, no, and I'm sure getting the actors uh, back in as well, because oh, I know having having worked, having been on exactly, having been on set with them as well, and uh, and yourself, it, <laughs> it it is. It's like everybody knows each other so well. It, it really is. You know, those core characters. Um, yeah, they're like a, a mini family. Well, just is. like a just like a sitcom, right? <laughs> Exactly right. Um, in fact, you know, the, the whole point of going where we did with um, restricted intelligence was because, um, and this is a massive uh, spoiler alert, and possibly, you know, people will be dropping teacups on the floor all the world over when they hear this, <laughs> is that I'm not a security person. I'm not. <laughs> no, no. No, I'm, I'm, from, a, I'm from a background in theatre and television and filmmaking, and I got into security uh, through um, a very good friend, a mutual friend called Stephen Bonner, uh, who com- commissioned us yes, to get the attention. Stephen Bonner. Yeah, he commissioned us to make a uh, film that would get the attention of the entire workforce of Barclays Bank. So. I was going to say that was a Barclays Bank, and that was that was the chase scene, wasn't it? When somebody has their BlackBerry stolen. I mean, and that dates it. Well, itself. that was one of one of six scenes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was one of the scenes. Yeah, it was one of the scenes. That that story was based on. It's a very clever format, actually, because it was it was essentially one film with six little dream sequences in it. Uh... And 
the, the story of that film. I stand by this film to this day because it's one of my favourite pieces of work and one of the ones I'm most proud of. Um, Barclays used to shut their branches on a Wednesday morning for the first hour. You may remember this, uh, yeah. you know, that you couldn't get in the bank because they're doing training. And so they needed something that they could all get in one quick hit. Yeah. So we took the six top issues and we made a little dream sequence about each one. Uh, but they said, oh, we want to watch it as one film. So we glued it together with some improvised comedy. And it, the story was that a middle manager in Barclays had to get the attention of his staff and he'd got a PowerPoint presentation he was very proud of. And then he got a director who he knew who was going to come in and shoot the video and it was all going to be very corporate and very straightforward and very within brand. And it was all, you know, he this guy was very risk averse, this manager. Yeah. Um, and the... Uh, the, the the story goes that the day before, the director calls in sick and they have to get a locum. They have to get somebody to step in for him. And this lunatic turns up who's a theatre lovey and he's like, darling, we'll make a movie, you know, and he's, he's all of this. <laughs> and of course, this guy's terrified. Yeah. And yeah. so there goes his budget and possibly his career, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, and that was the story. And I love it to this day. And so the, the dream sequences are the are from the mind of this lunatic where we've got um, a sort of Bridget Jones type of film. We've got yeah. a Bourne Ultimatum type of film, which yeah. is The Running Man you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, we even went with French avant-garde, which was my favourite. It's hilarious. <laughs> I've only ever seen The Running so, Man. So I'm proud of that to this day. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to ask Bob Oh, Ruby. well, I should show you the avant-garde one. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't know whether there's uh, copyright Stephen involved. Was, Stephen was really... Um, well, Twist and Shout don't own it per se but i'm sure you could see it yeah um uh so the the idea uh, on the french one for example the very last title on the french dream sequence is a picture of a fish on a plate in black and white and it just says fin (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i finished one of my presentations years ago very in a very similar way it was a shark's fin and it just came up. Ah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the so, French auteur in all of us. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but I think you you, you make a. It's it's almost quite meta in the fact that you know this director is terrified of this you know creative approach to yeah, to, but, to education. But that's you know that's art imitating life or life imitating art, whichever way round it is, right? Absolutely. Because I think yeah. you know. Um, yeah. I think you you told me this, and whether or not you remember or not, but security isn't funny, but it can be fun. And I think um, either you told me or I dreamt it or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But uh, but I think it's very true. No, I think yeah. I did mention that because one thing, I think what used to happen, um, we did get resistance. People look at resist, restricted intelligence now and think, wow, great, seven seasons. Of course, it's a great idea. Why would it ever not be? Yeah. Well, when we started, a lot of people thought it was not a good idea. And we had a lot of pushback. Had to from, fight tooth and nail for it. Yeah, we had a lot of people saying, well, um, if people don't take it seriously, then that exposes us to a risk. So if you make fun of information security, then um, other people will take it lightly. And that was proved to be completely yeah. wrong because if you, if, you, if you don't have people's attention, it kind of doesn't matter what you say about information security. Because it's not getting through anyway. Mm. If you're just going to throw compliance and legislation and, 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 you know, ticking a box at somebody as an employee, they're really, they're not engaged with it. And therefore, you might as well give up, really, because it's just not going to stick. If you make somebody laugh and you have that contract with them that says, if you give me three minutes of your attention, 
I will, I will entertain you and thank you for that, then that's a relationship. And they engage with that material completely differently than they do if they're sort of on a training session. Uh, and in truth, you need both. But the, 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 the comedy gave context to why the training was necessary. And it's all about context. I think it's really important. Absolutely, because I think uh, you, you know you could you could actually have all the best I don't want to say material, but the best content in the sense of what you should shouldn't do, blah blah blah, all that sort of thing. You deliver it in a bad way, yeah. you know. Great, great content poorly delivered is no content at all, you know, because your, your content yeah. has to be remembered, it has to be retained, uh, it has. To, and I think that's that's where humour comes in, is that it, it creates that visceral response. It, it creates a chemical change in the brain that actually helps in uh, the remembering of things. That's why people like to retell jokes. That's why people like to, you know, they, they actually remember their favourite jokes, etc. You can never you can never remember your favourite joke when you put on the spot, unfortunately. But, <laughs> uh, but, no, but people remember them. It's very powerful. I can tell you a joke I was told 25 years ago because it, it made me snort coffee down my nose at the time. It was a visceral reaction, you know. You can't... Yeah, people yeah, say, that's right. People say, make me laugh. I can't ever make anybody laugh. I can create the conditions in which you find something hilarious and you laugh. Yeah. But that's very different to making somebody laugh, you know. Um, and I think that's the key. But that's uh, that's a that's an interesting point, though, isn't it? In, in that I know when I was you know, looking to take on restricted intelligence, uh, one of the biggest pushbacks was, well, we're a global company and humour is different, you know, in different countries. And to a certain extent, that may be true. Uh, I mean, you know, Monty Python, for instance, is successful in some countries and not others. Um, But although that's quite an extreme, but there is a universality of it as well, though, isn't there? Yeah, well, the, here's the thing about, um, there's a lot of points in there, actually. One thing about the international question is something we got asked. It was the first question we got asked by corporates. Yeah. Um, and we developed a formula because what we did was we did some research. We looked at other shows that had done well internationally, and Friends was a good example. I mean, obviously now it's pilloried for being a dinosaur of values, but <laughs> but actually, um, yeah. uh, but at the time, in its peak, it was being rolled out to like 130 countries. It was a it was a paragon of internationality, yeah. which for an American show is saying something. Uh, and so the the what we studied about it was that it was relationships, it was sometimes hierarchy, uh, characters, clearly defined characters, yeah. and and fairly simple um, scenarios that did not rely on clever language. And so there were no uh, verbal puns for for want of a better phrase you know that we try to avoid those so we we came up with a set of rules that said what sells internationally I mean the biggest selling international show um when I tell you it'll be obvious is Mr Bean right yeah there's no language because Mr Bean doesn't have any dialogue that's right that's right yeah yeah, yeah. there's no language there's just a character in a situation with a hierarchy he's the idiot Mm. the parking attendant is the is the overlord you know those are the things that that people recognize universally um, the other thing to bear in mind is companies buy a product with the expectation that it's going to work 100% of the time with 100% of the people. Yeah. <laughs> and that's ridiculous in any communication, let alone a sitcom. You know, So I used to say to them, you have to look at this holistically. Uh, uh, you know, at best, you'll get maybe 80%, 90%. That would be great. But at worst, you'll create a tribe of really vocal ambassadors within the company who love the series. 
That's what you'll get. Now, you might get one person in a country somewhere who goes, well, I think I don't think that's funny. I don't think it's appropriate. That's fine. But that's it's not worth throwing the baby out with the bathwater because you know, you've got a group of people who are saying, oh, can I have the music as a ringtone? Yeah, that's right. Well, that's fan behavior. You know, yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And, and the fact is that that one person in that one country didn't like it. That's still a better hit rate yeah. than if you were just putting them in a room and shouting PowerPoint at them. Yeah, you know, and- but but it but but because it's such a a vocal response, people expect to have PowerPoint shouted at them. Yeah, they yeah. don't expect to yeah. to have high quality, high production values, humorous show put in front of them. And what do you expect me to learn from this? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the relationship with the content is really important. Um, I'm I'm very happy to say that um, our new owners, No Before, um, have recently managed to put um, the first season of our our drama, Now I was going to say comedy drama, but actually it turned into more of a drama, Mm. um, (laughs) onto Amazon Prime, which is a big announcement, actually. I saw that. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah, and it's fascinating. And they've left the bullet points in, the public service announcements, every eight minutes, you'll get the recap. Oh, really? Every eight minutes. Because (laughs) even though it's edited... It's edited as a movie, but it, yeah. it, it's still got the bullet points in it. So you learn, so you still get the learning, you know, with with uh, hopefully hundred percent of the fun, you know. Oh, that's so. Um, so, that's but, but that's that's testimony, testament to the, and also it's won a few awards and what have you. So we're we're very very proud of it. Yeah. Uh, and I honestly think it is the best content in the world at the moment for engaging employees on information security. I really do. Well, I think it's... Obviously, I'm biased. Obviously. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why. But I, th- I think certainly if lockdown has taught us anything, that the creative arts are vital to industry and, uh, well, hell, our, our mental health and well-being, right? And, and I think but having this kind of content go more mainstream can only be a good thing. I mean, small independent films, there's some dross out there, but there's... You know, and I'm not saying that, saying that this is a small independent film, but something that would not make the mainstream by its very nature and what it's targeted at. But having it on a mainstream platform actually means that, you know, if there's a hundred people around the world that go, ah, oh, I need to change my behaviour. There you go. You've moved the needle. You've the averted needle has, a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, what, and I was going to say in my intro that it, you know, most of your stuff is award winning, right? Let's well, face it. Thank you. Yeah, we've been you very, know. very, uh, the media have been very kind. Um, yeah. I mean, I know you go to the opening of an envelope, let alone an award. Of course, I would. Yeah. But, Anything uh, for a free yeah. Prosecco. I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, but sorry, you were going to say something else. I was going to talk about the relationship with the content, but also the relationship with information security inside a business. I mean, you've lived that role. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes you are the department that likes to say no. Used to be. Um, and, and therefore about as popular as um, something smelly in a spacesuit. Yeah. you know. Yeah. So we've gone from a situation where nobody knew what the information security department did or where it was or who was in it to somebody chasing the information security awareness person down the corridor to find out when's the next episode of the inside man or restricted intelligence when's it coming out exactly yeah. and that exactly that happened to me i was in the in our india office in delhi and one of the uh, vps saw me at the at the water cooler and came barreling towards me saying i love it when's the next episode can i get can i get it now um <laughs> and i was 
taken aback. Like, really? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, I know it's good, but it's approached me in a quite scary manner. Good, you know. You're looking for the cameras at this point, aren't you? Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> Is this being precisely? <laughs> but I, I want to I want to come back, go yeah. back a few bit, stages yeah. to when you mentioned that the first work you did was in Infosec was for Barclays. Would you say that was your seminal moment of this? Infosec is the industry I want to be in, or was it, or was it something else? Was it something else that said, you know, I've got a contribution well, to make to was, information security? Sort of... Well, uh, it was a perfect storm in a way. We'd always said that because we'd we'd recently specialised in comedy and business, like, and that was all business, not just information security, and so we'd realised that there weren't many specialists in that area. Uh, and we'd had a consultant working with us, a lovely man called Peter Rigglesworth, who had coached us through a difficult patch in 2008. And, you know, um, and he'd said, you, you, you're you airing towards comedy. You know a lot about it. There aren't many people out there who would call themselves specialists. That is a good way to survive. And then uh, in the same year, uh, we had two projects covering information security. And there'd been a couple of documentaries on the TV where somebody had found a load of bank statements in the back of a dumpster out behind the the branch or something there was some yeah. sort of expose yeah. had been on tv <clears throat> you may remember that um and so it was in the public it was starting to emerge as it was starting to emerge as a thing and so um in the same year we were approached by barclays and by one of our biggest customers at the time alcatel lucent a global telecoms infrastructure <laughs> company and um alcatel came to us and said uh, nobody's taking any notice of the cybersecurity issues in the company um, we had a we had a two hundred page, very clearly written document, and nobody's read it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we've even reduced it to ten pages, and they've still not read it. We don't know what we can do. You work for us as a filmmaker. What would you suggest? And we came up. Not many people know this particular product with a series called Adam and Jeff, and it's two blokes in the office, just banter. And, you know, one guy forgets to log off. The next thing, the guy next to him sends the email in his drafts folder that was never meant to be sent or sends his holiday pictures to every printer in the building or whatever. And it's just yeah. blokes messing around with each other, but it highlighted the information security issues. Um, and, th and then shortly, uh, well, about the same time as that, um, we were approached by Stephen Bonner to create the risk for Barclays. And uh, that mm. and that, and that was the one that really got everyone's attention because it was higher production values. Um, very, uh, what was lovely was uh, they recognised it as as kind of thought leadership almost. Like this is the way it's going to be in the future. We'll use all sorts of methods to get employees' attention. And they went on a kind of global roadshow around all the Barclays International head offices with this this set of videos. Yeah. And what was really brilliant was they put our credit on the end of the PowerPoint which changed everything because the following five years, I think, it's no, the following three years, we made about 50 films in information security in three years. Wow. And that blew, that just blew up for us completely. And, that, and we have Barclays and Stephen Bonner to thank for that. Yeah. And the one thing he did say, the advice he did say, the start of the project, which could be a career ending move for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. said, if, he said, if we're going to do this, for goodness sake, make it funny. Because he'd seen some corporate attempts at comedy and it had been lame. And he's like, I do not want to create a real, you know, 
duck egg of a film. Uh, and so he just said, whatever you do, it's got to be funny. So basically what he said to you was, make me laugh. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's quite a jolly chap, Stephen <laughs> Waller. So, you know, he's an intelligent, very intelligent. Yeah, oh, man. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you've spent, therefore, the last uh, 15 years educating people on information security about humour, what have you learned about information security? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> quite a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, enough to become slightly paranoid, which is a good thing. Um, one yeah. thing I have noticed yeah. as well is uh, if you talk to any of our lead actors on restricted intelligence, they have become advocates and they sort of remember some of the speeches that we wrote for them where they're ranting about how you shouldn't click on a link or you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't pick up that USB key you found in the car park. And our favourite character is Lionel because he just does everything yeah. wrong. He just clicks on the link and he, find, he finds a USB key in the car park and thinks, woohoo, 32 gigabytes, score, you know, and he just, no idea. Yeah. And, and so th those characters, those actors learnt a lot. I have um, been privileged now to work with, um, people that know before and, and people like uh, Javad Malik and Perry Carpenter and other people who have asked for content to go into the show, The Inside Man, that is way ahead of being needed today. So I'll give you an example is artificial intelligence. Right. Um, deep fake yeah. is another one. Yeah. Uh, the concept of fake news, yeah. like trusted sources. The, we're widening the net a little bit on information security to cover quite futuristic subjects. But because it's in the context of a story, you find the audiences going, is that a real thing? Does that can that happen? And if they Google it, they'll yeah. find that yes, it can, you know. And so it's it's pretty cool to sort of be laying the groundwork for future lessons in how we're going to protect our uh, information. So So you you'd say that so, yeah, you're, definitely, <laughs> you're you're definitely um no more than the average person on the street when it comes to information security. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done that much research for all the scripts and spoken to yeah. so many experts like yourself. You know, it's been brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as everybody knows, you know, there's show notes, but that support any kind of um, show like this. And what 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 you don't know, Jim? Oh, like you sent me the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So I now on my show notes have a list of all the films you're going to watch in the next twelve months. I know, I know, right? Yeah, so there's a there's a list here. Starts on the 17th of May, 2021. This is the shared Google Doc that you know I shared with you, and it finishes 22nd of December, 2028, with Avatar Five. Um, and you copied that into the document. So <laughs> I know what's that. I know. I can, I can explain. I know what's happened. I'm glad it was just that. Is all I'm saying. But that that can, that Control C, that, Control V is could have been a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the document was open when I was emailing my friends with the list of forthcoming cinema releases that oh, I got off a website, and I've sent it to all my mates, and I've just been cutting and pasting, wondering why it's not working, yeah. and it's actually been pasted into your document. I've, yeah, that's right, that's right. But that, that, really, yes. that really shows that <laughs> you can have all the knowledge in the world 
and it's still things will still cock up, right? And that's you know that's something we have if to. You've got pay. an open document with the cursor still blinking. Yeah, then, <laughs> that's, <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> that's right. But I think you know and shared well, documents are just one area that are a nightmare, aren't they? All part of the cloud yeah. problem. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'm constantly. Is this the right one? Am I in the right place? Is this the right document? The right folder? Yeah, yeah, is this got the right permissions? You just got to take a moment. Yeah, there's a huge amount to, to take in, and so you know, to expect the average person to be able to you know do all this, especially when, again, we're recording this in what April 2021. The, um, the we've had a year of the pandemic. We still probably got another six months to go, or, or you know, three to six months to go. Mm. That shift, that um, that massive yeah. shift last March in March 2020, into working from home, where you couldn't just email a document or you couldn't just uh tap somebody on the shoulder yeah. everything is being done you know through the cloud etc it's no surprise that a lot of people feel overwhelmed by this I, I can't imagine what it must be like to be the person responsible for securing endpoints and, and data across an organization when you've gone from perhaps five offices to seven and a yeah. half thousand offices <laughs> right. overnight. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. <laughs> seven, seven and a half thousand offices yeah. that you have no idea how they've been set up either. You know? <laughs> that have got strangers running around yeah. in them, or, or as I like to call them, the kid. Yeah, the children. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You've got dogs, oh, you've got yeah. delivery people, you, the whole lot. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, mm. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So, <clears throat> last it's last last sort of topic here. Last before we wrap up. But what would you say is is the most important thing that a CISO should be doing creatively now? So CISOs know their job, or at least you'd like to think so. Let's let's take that as a as a baseline. We know security. Yeah, we know yeah, what yeah. to do, etc. But actually, yeah. I think as as your your projects and your films and your series have shown is that they don't know how to, to how to deliver that message. And you know, just because they have the knowledge doesn't mean they have the the capability to deliver it. But so, what would you say a CISO needs to do creatively to move that needle, move that dial in the right direction? Well, there's one there's one big thing I can say, which I've been sort of banging this drum for years. Um, if you think of yourself as a trainer, then you'll get very good at imparting information to people. But if you think of yourself as a marketer, then you'll get really good at persuading people to do something because that's what marketing's really good at. Right. Yeah. So understanding the difference between both of those is really important. So what a marketer will do is think about a creative way of doing it. They worry about language. So um, write in the way that you write to a friend rather than a corporate statement. Sometimes at work, we feel we have to be official, especially in yeah. security. We feel like we have to be clear and official and all of that. And so we'd adopt a tone that is quite, you know, you must not click on this link and anyone found contravening these internal policies will be disciplined and blah, 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 you know. And frankly, a lot of employees will just go stunk, shut down. Yeah. But if you say, um, uh, guess what? Funny thing happened on the way to the forum this morning you know and, and you tell them a little story they're, they're in we're hardwired to remember stories and we'll love you for it so yeah think like a marketer think about how you talk to people in email or on any other remote publication and in person and also the other thing you can do to help yourself is look outside the industry for inspiration um my recommendation is that if you were really a marketer you would look at magazines like campaign 
or Creative Review or yeah. um, one that's outside London is called The Drum. There are these magazines that celebrate really clever communications ideas. And if you don't come out with a few ideas after reading one of them, well, I, I, I don't know what to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> but look at your own skills and feed, I call it feeding the beast. Feed yeah. the beast, you know, consume creative stuff and you will become create, more creative. Yeah. So that's yeah, my, my advice. And uh, is this a good time to plug the book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. This is like Graham Norton show, isn't it? Yeah, you know, no, you've no. got a you've got a book to plug. <laughs> but, but Jim, you are also well, an author, soon to be publishing your second book, and it's based almost exactly on what you've just said, isn't it? Around actually in yeah, business, how it, do we engage and motivate people? But over to you and your book. Well, five years ago, I wrote a book for as a love letter to the creative community, people like me who struggle to, you know if you like sell our services to corporations and businesses uh, and that was that was a successful book it helped a lot of people um, but then I thought I'd write a book for the other side of the coin which is the people in business who have to engage with the creative community and are perhaps a bit frightened about it or or don't uh, aren't creatively confident and so this is for them it's called once more with feeling and the, the kind of advice I've just given you about how to you know adopt creativity in a controlled manner to become more confident with it to look at language all of that is in this book. It's got practical stuff, but it's also got um, a bit of comedy in it. I tell a few stories. Um, yeah. I, uh, you know, I've had lots of thankfully successful relationships with clients where, um, you know, they're, they're in, you know, they'll be in the book to illustrate a point about encouraging people to take their heart in their hands and just communicate with empathy and with sincerity rather than uh, in, in in the brand guidelines, if you will. And it's happening more and more. I'm happy to say that, yeah. the, that the whole business world is, is with, helped by social media, if I'm honest, to say you've got to find your voice. You've got to be a human being. And, and that helps a lot now. But there are still large swathes of the tech sector and business to business that, that speak as if you're translating the instructions from Japanese on your dishwasher. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think bringing that humanity, bringing those stories in, yeah. you know, and I, I do a lot of presentations, you know, online and on stage, etc. You've got to have a story arc. You've got to have something that's going to hook people, yeah. the beginning, the middle, the end, etc. Because that's how we as human beings have imparted knowledge effectively yeah. Yeah. since we became human beings. If, if we didn't want our kids to run into the woods, we would talk, tell them about the goblins and the witches that were going to put them in a pot and eat them, you know, <laughs> and we'd scare the exactly. bejesus out of them and then they, they wouldn't do it, you know, because, and I, I, I don't know, there's an evolution. Yeah. Scarred for life. <laughs> yeah, isn't that what parenting's all about? Yeah, exactly. um, but I think, I think that, I think there's an important little bit that I've learned from um, a fairly well-known storytelling expert called Marsha Shandor, who is who spends her whole life working with companies and individuals to learn how to tell stories better. And she told me that something happens to the brain when you hear a story. It does something that puts you in the story. It's why we engage with movies and theatre and television so emotionally. We don't know why that function is there, Huh. We, 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 but we suspect it's an evolutionary thing. There is a survival reason for it, but it's almost like having radar. If somebody tells you a story and you're in it, you feel like you're next to the protagonist or you're rooting for the good guy or you're yeah. terrified of the bad guy or whatever it might be. There's a reason for that being there. And we don't know what it is yet, but we know the brain 
lights up in the same way. If you if you show somebody um, from a point of view of a car crash while they're in a brain scanner, you know, while they're under an MRI, you know, the moving MRIs that you can yeah. do these days, bits yeah. of the brain light up with panic and fear and adrenaline and all of that. But actually, if you if you if they're actually in that situation, apparently it's the same parts of the brain that light up that as if you were really doing it. And that's what wow. storytelling does. It puts you in the story. It's an actual brain function. Wow. So, so that, that storytelling tells us about how powerful storytelling can be. Storytelling and humor, all part of the brains of the uh, of the human being. I, I, it's it's obvious. Yeah, yeah it's all part of our but natural it's fascinating communication. at the same time. Brilliant, excellent, Brilliant. Jim. Thank you so much Absolutely. for your time. We're 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 up against it. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. You're welcome. Always a pleasure, Tom. Going to put uh, links to uh, your books as no, well as real- some of the other things in there into the show notes at the end, as well. So uh, make sure you make sure you send them to me. Sure. Make sure and, you put, uh, put them into that document alongside your shopping I'll send you a couple list. of links. I'll send you a few links that we can use. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Nice one. <laughs> My shopping list, uh, my yeah. measurements for my new suit. The, uh, yeah, yeah, all of that. <laughs> Brilliant. All thank right, you so much, so much, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Cheers. And thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. This has been episode two of the S1 Tom Chat. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. In the next episode, we have Lorena Fielding in the blue corner and Tom Langford in the red corner. Who will win in a fight between information security and privacy? Um, I like to think of it as having evolved. Stay tuned. We're out. Cheers, bye. And we're out. <laughs>